Amen. Last week, Roger started our new series called Holiness That Hurts the Eyes and began looking at kind of what it means for us to live a life that is distinctive, a life that is different, a life that is holy, a life where Roger's communicated that as a life where we are shining like stars. And it's a posture of us, of, of us as a community, of swimming against the stream around certain um, ethics that are distinct to us and, and, and swimming against the stream um, around the stream of culture and society that we see around us. This is very echoey. I don't know if anyone else can hear that, just me. Do you want me to use a handheld? Let's give that a go. Okay, is that all right? Can you hear me? Brilliant. Okay, so this is all based from my side around how we position our life. That we position our life and our mindset and therefore our behavior around the idea that Jesus is Lord. That our life is now under new management. We have a new king, a new Lord, and therefore we submit our lives in surrender and service to him. And he begins to do something new within us. We wanted to look a little bit this week around what the Bible says about holiness. For most people, this idea is often connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect, and therefore I should try and live the same way. I need to try and be morally good. It's maybe sometimes how the world would view Christians. Not always, but sometimes how the world would view Christians. That they're morally good. They're good people trying to do good in the world. I was watching a video recently of a... A family that had joined the Mormon church and they articulated their decision as, uh, because as they looked at families that had um, lived a good life and had raised good families and had a good impact in the world, and they realized they were Mormons. And they said, well, I want to raise a good family and I want to live a good life and I want to have a, a good impact in the world. So I'm going to join the Mormon church. And this was their thought process. And it made me think a little bit as I was preparing and processing um, this talk, what is that what we want as Christians, to be upstanding citizens, to have a solid moral compass, to have a significant impact in our world, to raise children that are good morally? Is that what it means to be holy like I am holy, 1 Peter says? Is that what it means? Is that what we want? And all of that stuff is probably really good and positive things to be aiming for in our life, but I'd like to present that actually a vision of holiness that we see from the Old and the New Testament goes a little bit further than just trying to live a good moral life. Opening again that Philippians 2.15 passage that Roger did last week, we see that phrase that we want to shine like stars in this crooked and depraved generation. What does it mean to shine like stars? Is that good moral lives or is there something a little bit more and I and I was processing that that idea of a sun shining a star shining is a really helpful metaphor for what it means to understand and look at holiness is this star that shines that we seem to orientate our lives around from day to night what season we're in whether I'm going to wear a coat today or shorts some of us are still learning what's appropriate in what weather but we orientate our lives around this sun, this star in so many ways. It sits in the background. We don't necessarily think about it a lot day to day, but it seems to shape so much of our world. It is unique, at least within our solar system. It's powerful. It's a source of beautiful, brilliant light. 
And there's something that maybe we could draw on and say, is that what holiness is? This beautiful source of power that brings life and light to our planet. And maybe if you stretched out further, we could say that actually as you get closer to the sun, the area around the sun, because of the intensity of the sun, are holy. Now, we aren't sun worshippers. I want to use this as a metaphor here. But the closer you get, the more intense it is. This very thing that generates and sustains life is also dangerous. We were camping this summer in the middle of the heat wave. And it was great. We loved it. But with three little kids, it was also tricky. Tricky not to be out in the sun too much. We were kind of huddled in a corner of our camping field, wedged up against the hedge and the tent, trying to get as much shade as we could, just moving our chairs little and little around the tent to stay out of the sun. The sun was amazing, and we loved it. And it led to great beach days. But it also meant that we had to be careful because it's dangerous. And it is hot. And I love the sun. Becky doesn't like it as much as me. But, but even for me, it was getting too much in the middle of this heat wave. We're fighting to keep the kids kind of in the shade. We, we've got sun cream on. We've got hats. We're trying to fill up the water as much as we can. We've got Nava wanting to empty bottles of sun cream into her juice bottle. And Barney refusing to touch the stuff because he doesn't want to go anywhere near it and it's yucky. We've got Zach who wants to go out in the middle of the hot heat of the day and play a game of football with his cousins. And we've got all of this going on. This sun is powerful and it's good and it generates life, but it is also dangerous. And if that sun, if you get too close, it will annihilate you. And the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous, not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And we see that paradox of God's holiness. First, in that story of Moses, where he's um, approaching the burning bush. It's Exodus chapter 3. If you want to have a little look at it, you can. The context is that Moses is out looking after the sheep, um, out in the wilderness, looking after um, his father-in-law's sheep. And he sees a bush that is on fire. But the bush isn't burning up, and he thinks that's unusual. And he begins to approach this bush, wondering what is going on. And as he does, he hears a voice, the voice of God that tells him to stop, to take off his sandals. It's holy ground. Then you see Moses falling on the floor, hiding his face. He's afraid to look up. He's afraid of what might happen. He's afraid of what he's going to see. There's this intensity around him. There's this holiness of God that is coming out, this recognition that this thing in front of him is not to be ignored. And the people of God, the story develops, and they, 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 they leave Egypt, and they're led out into the wilderness, and they, they have this beautiful relationship with his good and his dangerous holiness of God. It's this thing that sustains them and brings them life and leads them into their promise. It is good and it draws them forward, but it's not to be ignored. And just like this metaphor of the sun, they start to build and shape the whole of their society around the presence of God, around the holiness of God. They have this tabernacle where you have the holy of holies, this inner sanctum for holy presence. And they build this temple with this inner sanctum of the holiness of God. This hot spot of the presence of God, almost like the midday sun, the hottest moment, the most intense moment. We're there hiding against the hedge. 
We're trying to find a little bit of shade. The kids just want to run around. Barney wants to wear his tractor jumper because we're camping on a farm and that's what you need to do. Um, but we're saying, you can't, Barney. It's dangerous. You need to prepare yourself. You need to put on some sun cream. You need to wear a hat. You need to drink some water. It's this hot spot for the presence of God, this holy presence. And for them, their solution was not to wear some sun cream or drink some water. Their solution was to make themselves pure. And there was this process of ritual purity that they had to go through in order to live and coincide and build their society, their lives around the holiness of God. There was a goodness to this holiness that brought life to them as a community, but it was also something not to be ignored, something that had to be respected. And the Old Testament talks a lot about this ritual purifying that had to go on. You had to separate yourself from lots of different things in order to be able to approach the temple, to approach the tabernacle, to approach those holy places. You weren't allowed to relate to anything that was connected to death. You couldn't touch diseased skin or be near diseased skin or certain bodily fluids. All of those things made you impure. And you had to work hard to separate and to avoid those things and a number of other things. And God gave very clear instructions and laws around knowing when you were impure and how you can begin to make yourself pure so you could again be a part of this community that got to enjoy the goodness of the presence of God, the goodness of his holiness. It was this paradox that we see going on, that it was good and it was dangerous. It was exclusive and it was accessible. There was this holiness of God that was for them as the people of God, but it was something that had to be honoured and there was a process they had to go through. And we see this develop throughout the history of the Jewish people. There's a high level of awareness and observance of the law and a separation from things that were impure and not right. And we see in the second temple period as they've gone into exile and then they've come back and they've rebuilt the temple and they're trying to rebuild their life. We see that that holiness of God has left that temple, that presence, that holy presence has gone. It doesn't seem to come back, but they continue to form rituals and practices with this hope that maybe one day it will come back. Maybe one day we will have this holy presence of God in us again and around us again, and we can begin to orientate and build our life. And you see in the stories of the Bible a deep sadness that this presence has gone. And there's a part in the story where you get a number of different prophets that start to show up. Prophets that start to look forward as to where we're going and what is next. And you see a prophet called Isaiah that enters the story. And he is taken up one day in the spirit of God. He sees a vision and a picture. And he is stood in the middle of a temple, right in the center of the holiness of God. And he is terrified. He knows he should not be there. He knows he's not followed the ritual purification process in order to be there. And he is terrified. And you can see this fear that comes across him. And then in this picture, we see this creature, a seraphim that brings a coal from the altar of the Lord. And it grabs this coal from the altar with tongs and it brings it up. And this creature in this vision touches Isaiah's lips with this coal. And it says something a little bit odd. It says, your guilt is taken away. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. 
Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. And you can almost picture Isaiah standing here in this moment where he is feeling, I'm impure. I should not be here. I should be destroyed by this presence of God. I should not be in this place and this coal that is pure, that has come from the fire. The altar of the Lord touches his lips and he says, your guilt is taken away. And normally when you touch something, um, if, if that thing is impure, then you make it impure. So that coal should become impure as it touched the impurity of Isaiah. But in this moment, we see purity is transferred to Isaiah. He is made holy. He is made pure. In this vision, he isn't destroyed by the holiness of God. That holiness of God transforms him. It is a picture of what is to come. And another point in the story, you see a different prophet. His name is Ezekiel. And again, he has a vision, a very similar vision. He is in the temple of the Lord, again, in this holy place where he shouldn't be. And as he looks around, he starts to see a stream forming around him. And that stream, it goes into a river. And that stream, it flows out from the holy temple. And it starts to flow through the desert, through the wilderness, where there isn't much life. And as that river flows, it touches the banks, it touches things. And life starts to grow, greenery and trees and life. And it flows out into the dead sea. And it says it makes everything alive. You see this stark change. Well, make yourself pure, work hard, follow the rituals, purify yourselves, separate yourself. Do not touch things that will make you impure. You see the stark change. And now there's a holy presence of God that is flowing out of the temple. And wherever it goes, it transforms things. It brings life. It brings hope. It brings healing. It transforms our worlds. There's this stark change that seems to be prophesied by these two prophets. That someone is coming, something is shifting, something is changing, and our view of holiness is about to change. And then Jesus came. (laughs) Jesus came, and he claims to be the Son of God, the bread of life, the great I am, the one that is with the Father. He claims to be the fulfillment of these ancient prophecies. And he starts to go around touching The sick and praying for the dead and casting out demons and healing those that are trapped and start releasing people from guilt that they have lived with for years. You see him eating with people that you're not meant to eat with and doing this with a confidence because he knows who he is. And in Matthew 9, you see he prays for a woman who is sick who's had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. And in that same chapter, he goes to a girl that is dead and he raises her from the dead. And when he touches them, their impurity should have been transferred over to Jesus, but it's just not the way it happens. Jesus' purity seems to transfer to them, heals their bodies. There's something in this holiness of God's, this power, this intensity, this goodness that brings life to the world. He's like this river in Ezekiel's vision, this river that flows from God's to the world. Jesus is like this hot coal in Isaiah's vision that touches the mouth of those that are impure and he makes them pure. In John chapter 6, verse 68, 69, you see Simon Peter making the confession that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. He was the embodiment of God's holiness and we see this shift that throughout the, old, uh, throughout the New Testament, Jesus brings purity and holiness wherever he goes. 
The people didn't have to make themselves clean and pure and holy to approach Jesus. But Jesus walked and ate and sat and listened. He made that space where actually that holiness of God was coming to the people. And as he did that, that holiness transformed them, brought life and healing and hope. Jesus was breaking down those dividing walls. He came as a man, as an intense holiness of God. He came as that intense holiness of God, but he came as a man, eating and drinking and laughing and sitting with sinners and talking and spending time with those that others would not sit and talk and spend time with. He brought that in holiness of God and it didn't destroy, but it transformed. And I'd love you just to look with me at um, Mark chapter 7. I'm going to look at um, verse 14 onwards. It's in the middle of Jesus' ministry. In this passage, you see Jesus in conversation with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees particularly were not very keen to engage and associate with anything unclean. They didn't associate with certain people. They didn't take on certain professions and occupations. They didn't attend and go to certain places. They didn't relate and engage with certain nations. They wanted to do everything they can to try and keep themselves clean, to keep themselves separate. They wanted to live a life that was holy, that was uncontaminated. They wanted to live a life where they were disinfected, where they were not infected anymore by the world around them. And there's this discussion in this passage on eating food that was clean or unclean, particularly washing hands, you know, eating with hands that were clean or unclean, eating with pots that were clean or unclean. Verse 14 says this, says again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. So straight away, he's shifting some of their thinking. He's shifting some of their thinking, kind of, you thought it was all about your separation, your exclusion, you stepping back, you not associating. But actually, there's something in the root of who you are that defiles you. There's something in the root of who you are that is actually the issue here. Verse 17, he says, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Verse 18, are you so dull? Jesus, management one-on-one kind of class there. But are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing else that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods good. Amen. Get to enjoy all feeds. All feeds are clean. And verse 20, and he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within and out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed... Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He's shifting their focus from actually what is going on outside? What are these external things that we're afraid are going to defile us? And actually shifting us to the root of who we are. There is something within each of us. There's this sin within our hearts that he is saying, actually, it's inward work that I am doing. There's an inward work that needs to happen. There's a transformation of heart that needs to happen here. And inside begins to give them a new way of looking at holiness. 
it's not this outside-in process, but there's something inside that is coming out. It's this condition of the heart that is the focus for Jesus. And there's something that changes inside us when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Jesus talks about it as streams of living water that burst out. Now, holiness matters to Jesus, but he is, he is challenging us to think about holiness in a different way. He's talking about holiness that comes from inside us, evil that comes from inside us, outwards. Holiness comes from taking care of what is going on on the inside, not by trying to control what is going on outside. That we can spend a lot of our time and a lot of our energy trying to control what is going on outside and what we are allowing in. And there is something that he is saying in this moment. It's a matter of the heart. If we're not careful, we become so preoccupied with observing external religious rules that we fail to guard the heart. Or being fearful of what we're allowing in that we fail to guard the heart. Proverbs 4.23, from which flow all of the issues of life. We become very preoccupied at times with the image of purity, the pretense of holiness. But actually... We've done a lot of work cleaning up the outside. But as Jesus talks about, we've whitewashed the outside, but inside it's still a team. Inside there's still death. Inside there's still sin. And when we do that, we can end up regarding certain kinds of people as unclean, certain situations as significantly unclean, that we could end up trying to distance ourselves, aiming to live in every way possible a disinfected life, putting up walls of fear and judgment, social distancing in a way where we're saying, actually, I don't want to associate or go near, but by locating that issue of holiness, about what is going on inside our heart, at the root of who we are, Jesus is challenging some of that way of thinking. Now, we need to be cautious and we need to be aware of what we're allowing in, but there's something around focusing our attention on our heart and the condition of our heart and allowing God to do a good inner work in each of us, allowing that holy presence of God to change our lives from the inside out. And through salvation, through death and resurrection of Jesus, as he gave his life on that cross, we are born again. We're positioned in heavenly places with Christ and we're instructed to pursue holiness. So it's not a finished work. It's not something achieved for us that we don't have to worry about anymore. We're instructed to pursue holiness, but not, I believe, as an outside in work, but from a place of purity of heart, from a place of submitting again our lives under the lordship of Jesus and saying, God, do a good inner work in me. Change my heart from which flow all the issues of life. Jesus claimed to be that embodiment of God's holiness. And his followers and us, we're now God's temple. We carry that holiness to the world. That we would be a people that got to carry the holy presence of God wherever we'd go. At his death, that veil in the temple, it's torn in two from top to bottom. That space where you would go in and experience the sun, the intensity, the goodness and the danger of that sun was now open. And we become that presence of the Holy Spirit. We become, sorry, we become that temple of the Holy Spirit. That presence lives in us. We carry that out to the world. I believe this is why Jesus describes his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. 
that holiness you carried and that holiness you are called to pursue. It transforms your life. But it's not meant to just stay in you. It's supposed to flow out. It's meant to transform your marriage, your thought process. It's meant to change your behavior. And as it flows out, it's, it's meant to shift and start to change how you interact, what you do, how you behave. There's something about that holiness that flows out of you that starts now not to be this exclusive thing where you have to make pure and then you can approach me. But now actually it's something that is bringing life to our world. It changes what we value what we once gave our time to, we no longer give our time to. Our view on generosity, what we once give. Now, as Phil was saying, how do we get to this place where it's just normal to give? Well, that is a part of our inner work, that inner change in us. So it flows out and shifts and changes our behavior and our thought patterns. And it begins to affect everything around you, how you show up to your work, to your job, to how you love your friends, your family, and even those that maybe we don't usually associate with. And in that pursuit of holiness, as we live a life that reflects and imitates Christ, love begins to triumph over judgment. Integrity and vulnerability begin to triumph over religious ritual and pretense. Hostility is replaced with compassion. We love our neighbor without a fear of association or contamination. Why? Because he knows it's what's coming out of me. That is important. It is an inner work of transformation that God is doing in us. And in that place, in that moment, we are called to shine like stars in this generation. Not because we follow a ritual purity code. Not because we're trying to be good moral Christians. Not because we only associate with certain people and we only go to certain parts of the town. No, we shine like stars because we've seen the sun. And it's intense. And it's dangerous, but it is good, and it brings life, and it brings hope. And through salvation, we're called to carry that holy presence of God into the world, bringing healing, hope, justice, and change as we go. Holiness of God is God's good inner work in us that starts to manifest and change our behavior in our world. And I'd just love to pray for us as we finish. Maybe our band can um, come up. We're going to move into time of response. In that vision of Isaiah, we see that hot coal touching that mouth, that pure hot coal that touches the mouth, and it makes Isaiah clean. In verse 8 of that passage, we hear the voice of the Lord say, Who can I send with the word of the Lord? And Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. I want to shine like a star. I have been transformed and it's not destroyed me. And now I want to go with the word of the Lord and to bring this to the world. And I believe as we reflect on that idea of a coal that makes us pure, a Jesus that died for us and puts some, it does, starts an inner work in us of holiness and purity that we need to be thinking around, okay, what does it mean to be a people that carry that to our world, to walk out with that confidence in the world? And for some of us, some of us this morning, I believe um, we need an encounter again with God. Some of us, maybe we're struggling with some guilt in our life. Maybe that's past or maybe that's present. Maybe there's sin in our life right now that we're aware of. Maybe there's things that we've done in the past where we carry a guilt for that. 
maybe there's addiction right now that we're struggling with or things that we're facing. That actually when we talk about this idea of an inner work, where it becomes hard because we are, it's almost like a blockage there because of a guilt, because of a feeling of guilt. And this morning I believe that God or Jesus, like, like, like that, that creature in Isaiah, wants to come and place a coal. Wants to come and put his life on a mark in your, in your, in your life. Wants to come and mark your life and say your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is gone. Things have changed for you. You're adopted and you're invited to carry and walk out the holiness of God. And for some of you, like, that's, that's where you're at. And you're processing that and you're feeling, yeah, I feel I need to understand that. I maybe need to hear that again. Maybe I've experienced that many times. But there's something right now that I'm facing that is difficult and I need that word of the Lord that I'm forgiven and my guilt is gone. For some of you, maybe that's for the first time. You've never experienced that before. And this morning is an opportunity for you to pray and invite Jesus to come and forgive you, to come and be Lord of your life. And for some of us, we're like, well, actually, yeah, I feel like I know that. <laughs> Andy, of course, it's something I'm ongoing and doing each day, but, but, I, but I, I feel like I know that. And I, this morning for you, I think there's something in that second half of that Isaiah passage. That this morning, maybe you felt your holiness is around an exclusive thing. Some of it may be based a bit on fear of contamination. I don't want to let things in that are going to compromise my life. And maybe there's a little bit of a shift this morning of you stepping into the confidence of God, knowing that you carry his holy presence. And when you hear that word of the Lord, who is going to go for me? Who's going to carry the word of the Lord? Your response this morning is, here I am. Send me. I've lived too long in a holy bubble. I've lived too long being cautious around my holiness because of our fear. And this morning, I need to see and recognize that the holiness that you are working inside of my life, God, is for the transformation. It's for the change of our world. It's like a river that's flowing. So I'd love just to pray over those two groups, if that's okay. Love us maybe all to stand to our feet. I think the band are going to lead us in a song as well. But as we pray, I'd, I'd love you, if you're in that first group of just feeling like there's something right now in my life that I need to hear the voice of God, that I am forgiven, that my guilt is gone. And I'd love you to put your hand on your heart. And for that other group, who maybe you feel again that there's a challenge to go with the word of the Lord, with the holiness of God, and carry that to our world where maybe you've built up too many walls of judgment around you and you're hearing that voice of God saying, you've been transformed. Now go to, your world, go to the world like a river flow from this place. And I'd really want to invite you to come forward, to come to the front of the room here. We can make more space if we need to, but I really want you to come to the front and we're going to pray for you. So put your hand on the heart or come to the front. Father God, we thank you that you are that holy, intense presence. As we look at holiness in the Old and the New Testament, God, we see that there's this promise that this holiness of God, this holy presence of God will transform our lives as an inner work and will transform our world. Father, we pray for those of us right now that are sensing or feeling a, a guilt Maybe it's sin, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a challenge that we're facing right now. 
Father, we pray like a holy coal, like a hot coal, you would come and touch our lives. And for some of us, we're maybe feeling that I've put up a lot of judgment. I've formed some walls. I've tried to separate myself out of fear of compromise and contamination. We hear that word of the Lord, who can I send to this world? We say, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I wanna carry the presence and the holiness of God that is gonna transform, that is gonna heal, that is gonna bring hope.